accessing agent files. Brian Sovereign. Early 21st Century Anarchist. Creator and host of the podcast Sovereign Check. By the year 2021, the show would be instrumental in the downfall of various conservative ideologies in the government, helping usher in an incredible time. Hey, want to take a walk on the wild side and experience the bleeding edge of technology? Then get ready because it doesn't get much more edgy than this. You're in for a wild ride. You're listening to Sovereign Tech with your host, the man in triple black, the golden stallion of the tech world, Brian Sovereign. He's got a huge brain. And now here's Brian. The Libertine in Chief here for you for another episode of Sovereign Tech. You know, I was going to open up with, fuck, we'll do it live. But I decided against that. <laughs> Yeah, a little Bill O'Reilly there. Last week I, clo- I quoted Rush Limbaugh, and I found out a lot. A lot of my listeners had no idea who I was quoting, and I thought I was, I was like, "Good, that means nobody listens to that guy anymore." Anyway, ah, <laughs> uh, yes, we are ready. Let's do this. Um, I'm going to rapid fire stories. I've got so many announcements to make. I just I want to kind of get through these so everybody knows about them. Uh, and so not a whole lot of rapid fire stories this week, but let, let's let's get right to it. Keenvention 2014. Oh, yes. Uh, this is going to be a good time. Last year was a great time. Uh, I will continually remind people about Keenvention and what Keenvention is. It's uh, it's a you know a Liberty event, much like Liberty Forum or Porkfest, that is held in the fall, uh, kindly hosted by Ian Freeman and the Keen activists at uh, the Sovereign Hotel of all ironies. That's right. Uh, it's my hotel. No, not really. <laughs> but um. It's really great. And I get to host the tech panel again. I did last year, and that was a fantastic time. Uh, And I have pretty much all new panelists this year. And so you're going to catch something different. It definitely won't be a rehash, and there's going to be a lot of interesting things discussed. Uh, Of course, the producer of this show, the lovely and hyper-intelligent Dr. Stephanie Murphy, will be hosting the Bitcoin panel again. Oh, my. Uh, She's sitting here with me. And, well, anyway, (laughs) if you want to see her and who the hell wouldn't, Go to go to Keenvention. All right, 2014. It's uh, you can go to Keenvention.info to find out about it. It'll be uh, I think it's November or it's October 31st to November 2nd. Uh, so I will be there uh, hosting it and or hosting part of it, the tech panel, and of course, uh, the Duchess of Debauchery, Dr. Stephanie Murphy, will be. Uh, hosting the Bitcoin panel as well. So it'll, good times to be had by all. But speaking of other uh, conventions, I will be. We both will be again. Myself and Stephanie will be at Coins in the Kingdom. Yes, that's right. There is going to be. Yeah, it's it's not it's not Christian. The kingdom, as in the Magic Kingdom, as in Disney, and this will be at Disney in Florida. Uh, So this is going to be a a great time. And I think the dates on that are it's early October. It's like October third through the fifth. Yeah, and then immediately after that. We will both be at Inside Bitcoins in Las Vegas. So we'll go from a really great time by an event pretty much being put on by uh, by Jason King and Megan Lords, both, uh, you know, tremendous uh, people in the Bitcoin community and then the Liberty community in general, uh, to really going to the, you know, the, really the heights of the status matrix 
which would be uh, <laughs> inside Bitcoins in Las Vegas. Yeah, somebody's got to do it, right? Like I said, there's a, you need a few good anarchists, and uh, there at least Stephanie and I will be there. So we have that coming up. Uh, and of course, if you want to help me get to these things, help pay for it. I mean, some of the some of the expenses have been covered, of course, by the event organizers, uh, but nearly not nearly all or enough. <laughs> uh, some have already donated, but you can donate to the show. You can find links for various cryptocurrencies that you can donate in the show notes that will help with my travel expenses and food expenses to getting to these events. Um, and, and also, you know, you can also donate through uh, PayPal that's on the left side of the page on SovereignTech.com. So please check that out to those that have already donated for the travel expenses of going to these events. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Uh, it helps me out tremendously. Uh, and you can, you know, you, you can look at my, <laughs> uh, you know, on, on the, on the blockchain and see, you know, this, where that money's going to go. Believe me, it's totally going to me traveling. Uh, so I really appreciate that. Again, thank you so much, uh, and please continue to do so if you would. I mean, it's important for Liberty people to get to these things and to talk at these things. Now, Coins in the Kingdom, I'll actually be uh, either speaking or on a panel. Uh, so that's, you know, and that'll, be, of course, be content for Sovereign Tech listeners to check out. And please, if you are at any of these events, come say hi. I love meeting listeners. I really do. So uh, moving on, we, we got all that out of the way. Boy, uh, NXT, one of my favorite cryptocurrencies, NXT, the cracking issue that we discussed heavily last week has more or less been solved. Uh, the problem was is that 50 million NXT were stolen from BTER, completely BTER's fault. That is BTER.com. Uh, and it was their fault because they didn't secure their servers well, in particular, the NXT server. Uh, it had nothing to do with NXT. The NXT code was solid as a rock. And, you know, there was no cracking done of that. All right. And so what happened is, is that pretty much the community got together and there was discussions of, and this is pretty interesting. There were discussions of with NXT, you know, rolling it back, rolling back the blockchain to where that event with the 50 million NXT never occurred. You know, get the theft never occurred. I shouldn't even call it a crack. It's theft. And, they decided the community decided against that because the devs wrote it and there was some, you know, there was kind of a split decision amongst the devs and the community said, no, we will not download. There was a, a different NRS version that you could download. It was like 1.2.5 F. And they said, no, we won't do it. And they all got together and BTER and everybody got together and they pretty much paid off the thieves to restore NXT, the NXT. And they got all of but maybe 8 million of the NXT out of the 50 million. They got it back. And so BTR is trading NXT again. The price really didn't get, after it came back, the price really didn't get affected at all. Uh, and so really strong, you know, community decisions being made there is fantastic. Uh, I really, you know, I mean, it's interesting. Now, some people would say the issues are night and day, but, uh, you know, Bitcoin, in fact, ironically, almost four years to the day, they actually did a, a rollback. Uh, and it was due to bugs in the code. You know, of course, that's not new to Sovereign Tech listeners, because I've told you about how ugly the code was for Bitcoin at its inception. Uh, as to where the really the code for, for NXT isn't ugly at all. Of course, it's been able to learn from Bitcoin to some degree, even though it is a completely unique and different animal. Uh, so that 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 issue has been in my book resolved nxt can continue on and uh really the the slight price drop that it's had now just means it's on sale 
<laughs> so so go for it. And also, actually, BTER is offering free fees in dealing with NXT. So they've been great uh, all around. Of course, I wish they were great in not allowing it to, or, you know, in, in doing their due diligence so that this never happened in the first place. Uh, but again, this has by and large been solved. So, and the community's really, you know, done done a great job. And it raises actually real quick. It raises a great point because it shows that with NXT at least, you can choose not to take like a new version and to update. You can choose to be a part of the old version. And this is a strong security point, I think for for cryptocurrencies in general the fact that you can choose to not be a part of a change that occurs or that the devs decide and so it's kind of like it's almost a, a form of crypto boycotting maybe i just coined that term uh and i i think that's this is a fascinating area to to discuss but it, we're in rapid fire story so i don't want to go down that right now uh next pet topic going back to amazon why? Because Samsung is releasing a Nook tablet. Now, Nook is Barnes & Noble. Now, last week, we mentioned how Google and Barnes & Noble were getting buddy-buddy, and now Samsung and Barnes & Noble are getting buddy-buddy. And why is that? Why? I mean, Barnes & Noble is a failing uh, part of the economy. Like, I mean, they are just, you know, <laughs> talk about a nosedive of business. Uh, that That is Barnes & Noble. What is the deal? The reason I think is, is because they're the only name that could possibly compete with Amazon in the book market because of the, the fear of like Kindle Unlimited, uh, etc. And so I think this shows more. The fact that Samsung made a Nook tablet and the tablet's not impressive at all. There's no point in even talking about the specs. You can expect it wouldn't be anything that great. Uh, but I think this is really highlights the concern that these companies feel about Amazon. And it's funny too, because also this lends a lot of credence to the fact that I had, I had predicted that by 2016, 17, okay. Around there that the two major companies we would be talking about that are in battle against each other are not Google and Apple. It will be Samsung and Amazon. And here's a power play. Oh, yes. The Golden Stallion might have called it one more time. Here is a power play on Samsung's part to take on the book market that Amazon is really dominant over. Uh, so you're seeing the first shots of that, really, that, that upcoming uh, tech battle. I think that is on its way. So that, that's, again, reiterate that. By 2017, I think the two, ma the two major companies we're going to be talking about as far as tech is Samsung and Amazon, not Google and Apple. Uh, though maybe, you know, they'll have their own thing going on. In the, I mean, Apple, I guess, will kind of always be around, but, but those will be the hot ones. Anyway, uh, let's move on more. So I, a lot of people, I got a ton of questions about um, the game that I'm releasing from Zomia Offline Games, which is the game company that I started. And I want to, I'm going to give you just a couple real quick, be, just to answer those. Uh, you know, I, I don't want to save it for, uh, I've got better stuff to talk about during important email. So I'll just give you a couple little hints. First off is that I have planned to have full motion video for, the, for at least the introduction and maybe the outro of the very first game for Zomia offline games, not titled yet. Okay. 
Uh, and that full motion video, and we're going to do this full classic 90s style, baby. That full motion video is going to star the lovely and hyper-intelligent Dr. Stephanie Murphy. And it's, it's really going to be something. We're, we're going to pull out, I'm pulling out as many stops as I can uh, with with the development of this game. But keep in mind, and there is a, you, again, you can type in ZomiaOfflineGames.com. That will, all that's going to take you to is Sovereign Tech right now. But I am going to be doing a, de, a dev blog that will be coming. And of course, you'll be the first to know about it here on Sovereign Tech once that's released. And I will be explaining how I'm going about making the game, what it took. That way you could do the same thing. You know, because it's an entrepreneurial move. I think the game industry is something that really still has a lot of fire uh, left in it and is a real opportunity to tell some incredible stories uh, as well as get some incredible maybe ethics and philosophy out there. Uh, so that that's an area I want to explore. So the game will uh, the game is definitely I, I'm telling you now, the game is going to have a heavy anarchist theme no doubt about it. Uh, the initial game coming out will by and large be taking place on board a starship. And that's as far as I am going to tell you for now. So there's your hints. If you're wondering, uh, we'll stop at that a uh, little more, a little more that uh, I want to just talk about quick about me. I got a, uh, I got a new phone. I had to get a new smartphone. The, uh, the, the G next, the galaxy Nexus, the once banned phone by Apple, by the U S government, uh, has got a little long in the tooth. And so it was time to get a new phone. And I actually, I got a Kia Sera hydro vibe and this thing's slick. This is nice. It's practically indestructible. It's waterproof, dustproof, shockproof, all that good stuff. Uh, and you don't have to cover the ports on it either. It has a quad core. It's got a Snapdragon 400 in it. Uh, only eight gig of onboard memory, uh, but you can put in a 32 gig SD card, of course, which I did. Uh, and then it has a, a gig and a half of Ram, which is pretty nice. Uh, screen is nothing incredibly special. It's IPS, of course, but that's, uh, you know, otherwise, you know, 720p, nothing really to write home, home about. Uh, but I love this phone, and I paid pretty much through Sprint. I paid practically nothing for it. It has a removable SIM card, which was important to me in case, uh, you know, some of my travels take me overseas. I could, you know, get a cheap, uh, you know, overseas SIM card to use. Uh, it's really, it's a nice phone. I like it a lot. And ironically also the, actually the sound, it doesn't have a speaker for when you're making a phone call, it has a microphone for you to talk into, but it doesn't have a speaker on it for you to hear. And the sound actually goes, vibrates through the glass. It's really, really nice tech. Uh, I don't talk on the phone that much, even though I am an ad exec, uh, for free talk live. I don't talk on the phone that much. Most of my business gets done through email. So the sound does sound a little tinny, admittedly, and a lot of reviewers already, I knew that going into it, that it would, and they were right. Uh, so if that's kind of important to you, keep that in mind. Um, but really, it's a great phone, and it's really light. It's only about five ounces. Uh, I love it, and the battery life is pretty good. It gets me through a day easy, uh, and so I, I enjoy it. But uh, yeah, so if you're looking for a nice, cheap phone, I think Virgin Mobile has them, too. If you're in the U.S., grab that, uh, get, grab that Kia Sera, the Hydro Vibe. Uh, it's better than the Moto G. The Moto G is an awesome phone. This one has all the same specs, but it also has LTE. Yeah, I know there's a Moto G LTE now too. Um, but it, it, it's, it's comparable to that, but it's better in that it's compl it's waterproof. And believe me, I already had it in the shower. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, one other new thing out there. This is something interesting that I, I thought was a nice development in, uh, 
you know, in the computer world. And that is that LG and there's a couple other companies that are going to start releasing them because these are pretty expensive right now. But LG released a 34 inch monitor that it's not really 4K, but what it, it's it's uh, aspect ratio is 21 nine. So instead of 16 by nine or 16 by 10 or, you know, whatever the average 4K thing is, it's 21 by nine. It's this really wide screen. And I love this. It looks so much more immersive than anything 4K does. It, you know, and that's there. There's a great review for it on PC Gamer. And the guy said, man, you just when you have that much more real estate on the screen, when it's that much wider. Yeah, of course, it's not going to help with watching movies. But when it's that much wider, you really get that that immersive feel when you're playing a video game. And so I'd wait for the prices to go down on these. I think this I think the, the LG one costs about 300 bucks. But wait for another company to, to release some of these. But this 21 by nine aspect ratio, I think, is incredible and really is a direction uh, that that video games could or, you know, that that computers could go desktop computers anyway. Uh, with a laptop, I actually like a I like a four by three screen. I don't like a I don't like a widescreen on a laptop because it just it's too small. It doesn't work. But if you're going for grand scale, and again, this is a 34 inch. That 21 by nine, I think, is a, is really stunning. Uh, I love the idea. So anyway, let's get into <laughs> after all of that. Let's get into the main, um, you know, meat of meat of uh, our main story, and. This is, I, there's no link, so I'm not actually going to have a story that I want to share with you. But what I want to talk about, uh, and it's interesting since we were just talking about how Samsung and Amazon, I think, are going to be the tech companies, the tech giants of the future. I promised a few episodes back that I would talk about my predictions for what Microsoft has in mind. And this is a good a time, as good a time as any to talk about that. And I think it's important to talk about. Uh, I, you know, still have to use a Windows machine. In fact, in developing for Zomi Offline Games, uh, the software that I use is only works on Windows. Now, yes, I could, you know, do Wine and I could run a virtual machine and do it all within Linux, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Um, but, you know, when I want to get get right into it, that's where I, you know, I might as well just have Windows up and running. So I still use Windows. So Microsoft's future is important to me. It may be important to you, especially if you use something like Photoshop uh, or whichever. And it's interesting because uh, there was just an announcement that on September 30th, Microsoft, uh, September 30th, 2014, Microsoft will be holding an event where apparently they are rumored to show off a, techno a technology preview is what they're calling it of windows nine of threshold. Okay. Understand when I say threshold, I mean, windows, the next version of windows. And when I say windows nine, I mean the same exact thing that that's a lot of people are guessing they're going to call it windows nine. And, uh, this is, this is pretty fascinating also because they're actually going, supposedly when they release this, when they show it off, they're going to release it for the public to check it out too, which I think is a great marketing move. Now, what have they discussed about for windows nine? Uh, the start menu will be coming back. The apps that you use on Windows 8 and on that on the app screen, on the start screen, will actually be able to run, be, you know, essentially run as uh, desktop windows on their own, you know, desktop applications instead of having to be on a start screen and it taking up your entire screen. It'll be able to take up little screens. How that makes it any different from, uh, you know, from uh, normal Windows apps. Right. Exactly. Who knows? <laughs> it really doesn't. 
Uh, the only thing I think that that's in response to is the growing collection of Chrome apps that run on their own in their own windows, not just in Chrome OS, uh, but in, or on their own panes, I should say, not to, not to confuse it with windows when I'm talking about the OS. And I think that's really it is that it's in response to, to what Chrome is doing and what Chrome OS is doing. Now, also in response to what Chrome is doing is uh, this was another big announcement this week that HP was going to release a $199 14-inch Windows 8 laptop. And this is pretty key, too, because this is definitely lined up to take on Chrome OS, you know, to take on Chromebooks. Okay, because Google is getting that market share. Some odd 5 million units are going to end up selling this, uh, expected to sell this year alone. As far as units shipped, it actually got pretty close to the number that I predicted, which was uh, about 40%. I think we're about to kiss 30% as far as units shipped, uh, especially in, in the business realm. And so, especially when it's the business realm, Microsoft starts to sweat because that's its real bread and butter is enterprise. And I think that the only way, and they kind of talked about this, how there would be a version of Windows 8, uh, you know, Windows 8.1 with Bing, I think it's called, where it would come at a zero fee cost. Uh, they wouldn't use the word free. They use the word zero fee. And this is really what, what Microsoft needs to do. Uh, and it's ironic. And now the reason that I think that they can pull off a zero fee is in zero cost version of windows is because, and also real quick prediction, windows nine, isn't going to cost anything either. It'll cost something on the enterprise side, but to the average consumer, much like Yosemite and pretty much every version of Linux out there, windows not, you will no longer be paying for windows, uh, OSs from here on out. That's that, that's my prediction, not my prediction alone either. But the reason they can do this is because they've really developed, Microsoft has developed a killer app. And it's amazing because, and, and interesting, because Satya Nadella, who is now the CEO, has replaced Steve Ballmer. Uh, Satya Nadella, who is really making some, some pretty good strides and moves in Microsoft, in my opinion, has kind of changed the, the direction of the company in a very serious way. And he's helped, because he was originally their head of their cloud services, he's, you can really see that his input and his, uh, his ideology is taking over. Because where Microsoft is making the bulk of its money right now isn't in Xbox One sales. It isn't in sales of Windows 8. That's for damn sure. Okay, It isn't. Where it is, is in Office 365. This is the killer app that Microsoft has devised and developed and has out there. And it really is. Uh, now, I mean, I think, you know, Microsoft Word is an atrocity. Uh, it's, it's this ugly hybrid of, you know, various writing technologies from the 80s, markup and whatever else. And it never really worked that well. But it is the standard. It is still the standard of writing. And so, you know, that's it still has that name power. And even a lot of people that use Apple still use Office, right? And so they're making great moves on this. They also have another killer app, but I'll get into that in a minute because they're not making any money off of that one yet. But with Office 365, they've really solved, Microsoft has solved a lot of their funding issues, a lot of their 
you know, any of their downturns as far as stock prices. They've really figured that out. Also, the other way they figured out their stock price downturns is by firing a bunch of people, uh, which or laying off whatever word you want to use, which I think that has a lot to do with their direction, too. And that direction is, is that Microsoft is going back into being a software company. They're going, and I don't think they're going to do, yes, they are still coming out with Nokia phones. They're still coming out with Windows 8 phones. But notice, because also what got released this week with Microsoft is the HTC, the uh, the HTC One, pretty much, it's the M8, okay, smartphone, one of the highest rated, one of the best smartphones on the market right now. They released it using Windows Phone, you know, as a Windows Phone. And so I think they're really, they're going to come out with their, just like Google does, they're going to come out with, you know, like their, their Nexus version of devices, which would end up being the Nokia's. But I think the Nokia line is going to really just totally come to a halt other than having that one flagship phone that they're going to keep pushing out there or one or two flagship phones, much like Google does. And so Microsoft is, is copying, uh, pretty much in their entirety, they're copying Google's model. Now this will probably save them in the short term. I, I can see that happening. I mean, in the very short term, this is going to look very good for investors, but it's not enough to keep them really relevant and alive. Okay. And Office 365, Office is going to be around for a while, as much as I wish it wasn't. It's just going to be around for a pretty long time. Okay. But what's really going to save this company and what's going to be its longevity is Skype. Skype is really the software that is the key. And it's interesting that it's been highlighted so much this year at various conferences by Microsoft because of their, its new ability to be pretty much a universal translator where it can almost in real time, damn nearer to real time, translate what a person in Germany is saying to you into English. And the importance of Skype can't be uh, understated. I mean, this was a buyout that they did in 2011. And, uh, you know, whether Balmer realized what he, exactly he was doing or not, I don't know. Um, but Skype is really, this is the Achilles heel of every, every other tech company out there. Facebook uses it as their back end for a lot of their messaging services, voice calls and, what, and video calls and whichever else. Of course, Microsoft holds what, like 30% stock in Facebook? So not, a, not crazy. But this is also the only real software that Microsoft has ever released for um, for Linux. So they got Linux. They're on Android. They're on iOS. Okay. And of course, being on Linux, that means by default, they're on Ubuntu phone. Skype was the most requested app to be put onto Chrome OS because they're talking about natively uh, or not natively, but emulating Android apps into Chrome OS. Google was talking about doing that. Skype was number one of the one that they wanted. Okay, Skype is so heavily integrated in everything, into every other tech company, that the instant that Microsoft says, yeah, we're going to charge you for that, they just, they just grabbed, for lack of a better phrase, they just grabbed every tech company by the balls and squeezed. This is really the, this is the thing, and especially when the whole world may end up relying upon the fact, and this may take 10 years for them to do, but when the whole world's relying on the fact that, okay, I can talk to a person, you know, in, uh, in Thailand, in Thai, real time, and I don't have to learn their language, oh, you've got something powerful. You want to talk about connecting the world? 
Ooh, yes. So that's really where I think Microsoft's future lies is in Skype. And Office 365 is going to end up, you know, pretty much just keeping the, the money flowing so that they can do that. Uh, I also, but previously I've made the prediction, and I still think this is true, that eventually they're going to drop the Xbox brand or at least the hardware of it. And there's going to be an Xbox version of the Windows OS or, you know, there'll be a Windows 9 gaming edition or something like that because Steam OS is really that silent giant that's just waiting to hit. Uh, and Steam is not doing, and, and honestly, Steam's not doing enough to get a lot of the, a lot of the software available uh, through Steam to work not on Windows, to work in Linux. So Microsoft's got time to still be that gaming giant in the PC world. They have plenty of time, and I think that's coming too. And they're they're just going to end up dropping all their hardware. They dropped the Surface Three Mini, uh, and the Surface Three might be you know their last uh, their last stand as far as hardware goes. Other than of course the few Nokia phones out there. Anyway, there's my predictions for Microsoft's future. Are you searching for your soulmate, someone you can trust who will never betray you or cooperate with the NSA? Stop searching. With EasyDNS, you found a keeper. EasyDNS does it all. Domain names, web hosting, and managed WordPress hosting. EasyDNS stands up for your internet freedom. And with servers in Canada, they do not cooperate with the NSA. Go to EasyDNS.com. You'll love their services or get a full refund. They guarantee it. And they accept Bitcoin. That's EasyDNS.com. Hmm. Hello, Mr. Sovereign. Brian Sovereign. And yours? Natalia, care to play a game of roulette? I'd love to. Number and color? 69, black. As you wish. Tech Roulette. It is time for Tech Roulette, where I talk about the stories that get sent to me through the various channels available. Of course, BitMessage, uh, Tech at RiseUp.net. Some people even shared it via Facebook. I know, I know. Uh, Google+. Plus. Twitter, Twitter especially is a real hot one. That's a great way. If you know, one of the ways you can really help the show is to follow the show on Twitter uh, and follow the show on SoundCloud. Those are the two that two free things you can do to really help me out. Um, anyway, so before I get into this week's story, and I think it's a great one, I just want to kind of cap off. I mean, you know, I'm not hearing the reason I gave that long prediction about Microsoft is I'm not hearing anybody else putting all that plan together. Uh, you know, or that that's what they have in mind. And so it's my guess, but I've often been right, you know, and I've done this with other companies. I talked about how Apple, how I think that they plan on their, their future of their company is based upon mesh networking. I've talked about that in the past, and I still think that that's very true and becoming more true. In fact, last week we talked about that company P-Cell, that technology P-Cell, and I wouldn't be shocked if Apple doesn't swoop in on that one. Because while all the other companies are buying 5G, you know, companies like Google's buying out 5G companies, uh, I would, if I was Apple, I'd be buying P-Cell and I would implement that and use, you know, the, the, the software that already exists for the uh, multi-peer connectivity framework that exists within iOS devices. And now that iOS devices can instantly link once they're in range with Yosemite, with your, with your desktop or your laptop, you know, your Mac, your Apple lap, your Mac laptop or desktop. Uh, I think that that's a pretty clear sign that that is the direction they're going. Totally conjecture and just based on some of the facts that get laced out there. So anyway, I hope you enjoyed it. Or, you know, I hope you enjoyed me talking about Microsoft. Now let's move on. 
let's talk about where the world isn't going towards the future, because certainly Microsoft, their plans with Skype is definitely doing next level connectivity on the Internet. You know, I mean, it is really like the way to connect people uh, in a very real sense. So this is interesting. This was sent in by a listener, and I thought this was such a great article. So I'm going to read it. I'm going to talk about it, and we'll probably go a little broader than what even the article is talking about. Um, but it's how Minority Report, this is from 2013, this article, how Minority Report trapped us in a world of bad interfaces. <laughs> so I'm going to use the phrase UI a lot in this. And when I say UI, that means user interfaces. Okay. For those that don't know. So instead of using the word interface, I'm going to say UI quite a bit when I, when I discuss this, um, but minority report, of course, for those that don't know, is a movie came out in the, I want to say late nineties, uh, with Tom Cruise. It is an atrocity of a film. Uh, I didn't, I didn't care for it at all. In fact, I saw it in theaters and really I thought the movie, there was like five times. And I remember saying this in the mall when my friends and I were leaving the theater is like, you know, really, that movie was way too long. That movie should have ended. There's five times where that movie should have ended and it just kept on going. And I feel like that this movie was really a showcase for a lot of ideas that a lot of companies like, say, Rand Corporation or DARPA had for, you know, uh, for the future. A lot of technologies that they had in mind for the future. The idea of pre-crime is being heavily discussed in you know in government circles today it's a fact you know stopping a crime before it happens uh, by basing it upon algorithms of what a person does and etc cetera, etc cetera. one of the reasons that uh, privacy is important to strive for and uh, you know so the, a lot of this stuff is is very legit and so let's talk about the you the ui the interfaces that this article goes into that come from minority report i wish i could get away with charging my clients a fee for every time they say minority report to me I'm a commercial artist in L.A., and 90% of commercial art is shutting up and giving the client what they want. That means I spend a lot of time trying to repackage Steven Spielberg's vision of the future. Floating graphical windows with video hovering in them, typography flickering and animating in response to actors' actions, interfaces appearing and disappearing when fingers reach out to poke them. In short, building a virtual iPad interface hovering in front of the actor using it. In Spielberg's future... You only have to twirl your fingers at a, at a computer screen to make it do what you want. It looks cool enough, but it's time for us to let it go. We've built our graphics and our electronics around interface eye candy rather than trying to come up with new and more effective ways to control our real and imaginary gadgets. The best thing you can say about touchscreens are they look good on camera and they're better than T9 texting, which is kind of like being better than fax machines it's important of course to put this in context minority report came out in 2002 okay 2002 and we had touch screens for a long time before then if you want to feel really let down by the future here's the prius computer screen omatic as interpreted by 1987 buick riviera even multi-touch had been played with uh, before the movie came out just in labs and very expensively minority reports cleverness was not in inventing new technology from whole cloth but in extrapolating existing tech into practical consumer friendly products. And this is true. Touchscreen has been around since the eighties. It was, you know, it's been a Comdex shows in the eighties, uh, which is a popular conference back in the, it was kind of the creme de la creme of conference of computer conferences in the day. Uh, and yeah, so I agree with the, the assessment on that, that a lot of these ideas just really aren't that new. 
Uh, in the run-up to production on the movie, Spielberg invited a panel of tech experts and self-identified futurists to an idea summit. Their goal was to create a plausible description of the world of 2054 based on what was current, cutting-edge technology, rather than just constructing from nothing. Self-driving cars, retina-scanning billboards, and criminal-identifying spider-bots all made the resulting 80-page 2054 Bible, but the most influential invention of the futurists is the gesture-controlled display. In the movie, when Tom Cruise, straps on, Tom Cruise straps on his info gloves and starts rummaging through the dreams of the psychic recogs, uh, gl- classical music begins to play. He stands in front of a semicircular computer screen the size of a wall and uses his hands to fast forward and rewind to zoom in and out and rotate the screen. Many of them are laughable. He places one hand in front of another to zoom in like a vertical hand jive. He goes to shake someone's hand and all their files are thrown down into the corner. It's frankly absurd, especially if you haven't seen it since 2002. This is the thing tech reviewers are always comparing a new interface to. Even so, there are recognizable gestures that anyone with an iPhone has used. The pinch zoom, the rotation, and the swipe to dismiss are all used daily by smartphone users. And while Cruz's begloved gesticulation is silly on its face, everyone else in the movie has to use a regular old multi-touch computer monitor. If there's anyone to blame for the gesture-based interface Cruz uses, it's virtual reality engineer Jaron Lanier and the most outspoken member of the think tank, entrepreneur and MIT lab uh, alum John Underkoffler. Uh, or yeah, John Underkoffler. Lanier, who brought working prototypes of glove, glove tracking hardware to the Idea Summit, eventually went on to develop the Connect gesture recognition system for the Xbox 360. We're going to talk more about Microsoft here in a minute because there's another bit to their plan that is pretty interesting. But it was under Koffler who took Spielberg's request for an interface that's like conducting an orchestra, quote-unquote, and it turned it into gestures we see on screen. In a 2012 interview, under Koffler said he devised this whole kind of sign language for interacting with this computer, for controlling the flow of all of this information. The problem is that the sign language hasn't gotten stuck in our cultural mind like a particularly virulent earworm. In 2006, a year before the iPhone's debut, Jeff Hahn gave a TED talk about multi-touch gestures, demonstrating the use of them to manipulate photos and globes. Throughout, he described gestures as an interfaceless technology. That's interesting. A way to... uh, Intuitively zoom in and out and rotate around images without a magnifying glass tool, you know, without a mouse. Uh, This is, of course, nonsense. While touching something to get more info may be intuitive, every other gesture demonstrated is noteworthy for how non-instinctive it is. Does pressing with one hand and dragging with another really intuitively uh, represent rotation, especially of a 3D object like a globe? And I want to stop here for a second, because this is a great point. One of the things that's happening with Windows 9 is, or Threshold, is that they're, they're apparently going to get rid of the charms in, from Windows 8. And charms was the thing where everybody's like, I have no idea that these charms are there. And this really speaks to this. Uh, in fact, Microsoft is pretty key in the problem with a lot of this, not Apple. Microsoft is pretty key in this matter. Because if you remember, they mentioned the 360 and Connect. There's two technologies that Microsoft was developing that I think now they've thrown to the wayside. 
that they were developing uh, that that lead to this kind of interface that we remember from Minority Report. One of them was for the original Xbox, not the Xbox One. I guess this would be called the Xbox Zero. Okay, and that had a 3D interface on the screen. The interface didn't just go up and down. It had depth. Now, it didn't project into 3D and you could like go through it, but it had depth. And I think that was an experiment. The original Xbox was it was a computer experiment because at the same time, Microsoft was developing a glove, a wrist, you know, and some people say that that was them developing a smartwatch. I don't think so. I think Microsoft was developing the wrist controls that Tom Cruise highlighted. Because Microsoft is pretty good about trying to create, you know, they do a good job in their own. They don't need to make a big budget movie, but they do a good job of creating sort of a, you know, like a picture of the future. And they have some beautiful videos. You can find them on YouTube on how that's done. Whether or not it's a good idea is a totally different story. Okay. But they were definitely, you know, in line with trying to make this a reality, whether or not they were even behind it in the first place, which maybe, um, and so I, I think that's important, you know, to highlight that this idea in that so many people are wanting with uh, minority reports like computer interfaces are completely non-intuitive. And they were being tested by major companies and even the major companies know that they really don't work that well. Uh, and I think Microsoft has a solution to that, but I'll talk about that more in a second. And of course, a lot of people say, well, touch works great, blah, blah, on my phone, et cetera, et cetera. Very different uh, animal by and large, in my opinion. And it doesn't have that charms where there's like entire interface, you know, there's entire UI commands that exist somewhere where you don't even know and you don't even see them. Uh, and that's why touchscreens have kind of worked because they've kept that sort of point and click feel that makes your hand feel like a tool you know, like it's it's being operated like if like a monkey picking up a stick instead of somehow it's like you navigating through the water. There are better ways to handle back to the article. There are better ways to handle spatial ideas, ways which are more in line with our with the way our bodies are built. Human hands and fingers are good at feeling texture and detail and at gripping things, neither of which touch interfaces take advantage of, which is what I was just saying. The real future of interfaces will take advantage of our natural abilities to tell the difference between textures to use our hands to do things without looking at them. They'll involve haptic feedback and interfaces that don't even exist. So your phone shows you information you might want without you even needing to unlock and interact with it. This is Google now. But these ideas are elegant, understated and impossible to understand when shown on camera. The reality is there's a huge gap between what looks good on film and what is natural to use. Movie computers are designed to look uh, cinema magic, cinemagenic. <laughs> uh, mostly this translates into transparent screens and huge fonts, uh, things nobody would try to try and put on a phone. But touchscreen interfaces, which look great because of how easy it is to tell what a user is doing on camera, have managed to take over our lives. This isn't this isn't to argue that touchscreens are useless. They're a great way to cheaply interact with a small electronic device like, say, a phone. But the problem is the outsized role the touchscreen has taken in our pop cultural understanding of computer interfaces. Think Windows 8, which Microsoft themselves are running away from with Windows 9, right? Exactly. The hovering multi-touch interfaces of Iron Man 2, Total Recall, and Tron have become pop culture's vision of what's state-of-the-art, even uh, outside of Spielberg's movies. 
or a movie. None of these are fundamentally different from Minority Report's techno screen. They just have varying distances between fingerprint and graphic. But all of them are essentially what design critic Brett Victor has called pictures under glass. They are interfaces that look good rather than interfaces that work well. Put another way, if Jeff Hahn had designed a keyless entry system for a car, it would have involved dragging a secret gesture on the car's window instead of the car automatically unlocking when you open the handle if you have the key in your pocket. And at the end of the day, it's visual accessibility driving is it's visual accessibility driving this trend. Hopefully one day we'll reach the point where filmmakers don't want computers to look like conducting an orchestra and we'll be back to back out of this interface cul-de-sac and find our way forward into a genuinely natural way of using our devices like porn techno interfaces are more focused on what looks good than what feels good and like porn it's pretty hard to get people to stop buying here i'll make a deal if we're going to be focusing all our cultural attention on something so impractically sexy can it be jetpacks instead (laughs) I, I I like that last point that, yeah, exactly. Can we work on jetpacks that are just, you know, yeah, <laughs> if we're going to go with something that's impractical, but sexy, can we do jetpacks that maybe jetpacks aren't that impractical? Okay. So yeah, let, let's discuss this because I think it's a great point uh, that touchscreens, you know, aren't everything that they were cracked up to be. And boy, did Microsoft try really hard. Do you remember the original Microsoft Surface? Not the laptops or the tablets that we have today, but the original one was this gigantic table that you could essentially put your phone down and it would show all your pictures or you could make orders on at various restaurants. And there's HP was developing this too. And to some degree, these have been implemented in certain areas. Touch was a big deal, but the irony is, is that the brains behind Microsoft even now admits that it is not the future. They made a gamble on it and it didn't work. Now, Minority Report, I'll tell you what the future is in a second, but Minority Report was not the first attempt at this, you know, like a gloved interface motion gesture uh, bit of business of control through a computer system. Okay. Uh, The original was Tech War by William Shatner. The TV show actually had where an entire interface completely enveloped you and you were in a spinning chair and you use glove commands, you even like clapped to get through a logic gate. I mean, all this wild stuff. It was really, really ahead of its time. Now, did William Shatner come up with that? <laughs> no, uh, as much as I love Bill, he, he did not. Um, and I'm not sure exactly who did quite frankly, because the, where those ideas came from as far as tech war is pretty sparse, but I think without question, Steven Spielberg copied tech war. <laughs> um, you know, maybe he just made it look a little better. So, but then nobody watched tech war and that's why nobody gives a credit as to where everybody went to go see a Tom Cruise movie in 2002. Right. So the answer to this, because it is so unintuitive, it does not work. It is not like a tool. Okay. Is Bill Gates talked about, he said that writing handwriting, you know, essentially a pen or a stylus. These are the future. And it's interesting because now this is the direction and Bill Gates said, this was just a couple months ago, Bill Gates said, I think it was on Jimmy Fallon's show. He said that I have a lot of guys working on this at Microsoft on the idea of handwriting being the future again. And in fact, some of Microsoft's futuristic videos show people writing on like glass walls and that's how they're communicating and it's instantly translating. Also, of course, like we mentioned, Skype, Skype is allowing for the language barrier to disappear. Theoretically, it may never get to that, but they're trying. 
And so it's ironic that really what what Bill Gates or what Microsoft or perhaps what a lot of companies are realizing is that the natural ways that we interact, the manipulation of tools by our fingers, not the fingers themselves, uh, or the, you know, speech are the wave of the future of interface of connection via through our technology or to other people and just replicating it via the internet. So yes, let's get out of this way of thinking. And it is true. I mean, this guy I think is absolutely accurate. Granted this article is over a year old, but I think he's right that a lot of people it's like, yeah, I want it to look like my dirty report. It's because you want to look cool while you're using your devices. But is that helpful is looking cool I mean, maybe it's cool to impress somebody, you know, nearby or something, but in and of itself, if it's not intuitive or not efficient, uh, doesn't that go against the very nature of what a tool should be? I think it does. And uh, later on in the show, during the climax, I'm going to talk more about, uh, you know, thinking creatively and not being trapped by other people's visions. But I think this is a good point. And also he talks about the interfaceless thing. Now that's the direction that Google's going where there's no interface. Remember uh, Astro, the head of uh, Google X had said that, yeah, we want to get rid of the interface. That is something that deserves a lot of exploration as far as an idea. Now I've talked in the past about how, look, if there's no interface, then how can you control what you're doing? How does that not give up control of what you're using? to someone else if there's no real, no hard interface. And I, I've talked about that, but I think there's more exploration to be had about the idea of an interfaceless uh, computer system. And in fact, you know, it kind of makes me wonder if there was an ancient society and we can't find any of their tools or any other computer devices that were like, that was really advanced. Is that because they went completely interfaceless and there's nothing to find? because it's all virtual? I wonder. Maybe I'll talk about that sometime. This is Brian Sovereign. I'll be back with more. There's a lot of confusing information out there about Bitcoin mining. Customers have been burned by companies taking their money on pre-orders for Bitcoin mining equipment, only to receive their equipment late and miss out on opportunities to mine Bitcoins. But that doesn't mean Bitcoin mining is impossible. You just have to find an honest company to do business with. If you want to mine Bitcoins and you want to do it now, no pre-orders, no waiting. Look into the AntMiner products from Bitmain. Their competitively priced AntMiners are in stock and ship from the U.S. as soon as you pay. You could buy an AntMiner today and be mining Bitcoins tomorrow. The AntMiner line offers the best mining power per dollar currently available. 20% of the mining power in the Bitcoin network is contributed by AntMiners. Not only that, but Bitmain is committed to support. You can get tech support and warranty service over the phone by calling 844-BITMAIN. For commercial accounts, they'll even travel to your data center to install your equipment. Get all the details at bitmaintech.com. That's bitmaintech.com. You're a lucky man, Mr. Sovereign. Not many win so well at the game of chance. That's because it's not a game of chance, Natalia. It's a game of choice. <laughs> game of choice. It is time for Game of Choice, but thank you for humoring me at the very end of the last segment there with a little bit of a wild thought. Uh, but talk about uh, things rising from the ashes. 
were we talking about something that rose from the ashes? <laughs> I don't know. Um, <laughs> there is a giant returning to the world of video games. Uh, and I am very, very excited about this. Uh, and it is Sierra Entertainment or Sierra Online. Uh, it's had a few different names. I think originally it was like Online Systems. Uh, but this is a company founded by Ken and Roberta Williams. And it is a company that really changed the world of gaming uh, forever. And they had a, a very long string of hits in the 80s. Uh, Mystery House was a, was a great one. I mean, these are really basic. We're talking about the 80s and we're talking about on PC. These are not graphic powerhouse games. They were in their day. They were amazing because they're using vector graphics and, uh, you know, a lot of different tricks to somehow show off a 3D world. Um, but certainly, you know, <laughs> they don't compare. In fact, they used to call them like high res adventure used to be the name of some of these games, but they're coming back, uh, or at least Activision is reopening the, the title. They're, they you know, they're, they're saying that, uh, okay, you know, we've, we're reactivating the, they're not bringing back anybody really for Sierra, but they are bringing back the franchises that Sierra had created and made popular because Activision bought out the company back in 08. And this is awesome because the first thing they announced was perhaps the most popular series that Sierra Interactive ever came out with because they came out with, you know, like 10 different games for it is King's Quest. And that's and that's awesome. That's really exciting. And I wonder how far they're saying it's going to be, you know, pretty much like a they're, they're calling it an indie label, the Sierra Entertainment, that it's, you know, it's new rebranding. Um, and I can't wait. I hope because there's other ones. There's like Space Quest, which was great. I'd love to see that get re-released and redone. Uh, I don't know if they're just going to do HD rehashes or if they're going to try something really inventive. The one series I hope that they don't bother with is Police Quest, even though admittedly back in the day, I, I enjoyed it for what it was. We're talking the 90s, the early 90s here. Um, so my hope is because a lot of these adventure games that they created like space quest, uh, even mystery house and, uh, you know, in King's quest, you typed in what you wanted the character to do. You didn't have multiple choice. I mean, it still was multiple choice because there were only certain commands that would work, but you really, you typed in what you wanted the, the, the character in the game to do. And, you know, it was kind of third person for what it was back in the day. And I think this could really be cool if they make it that natural again to where you type in what you want the character to do. And yet it's intuitive, kind of like Cortana or, or Google now is, and it knows what you mean and it makes the character do it. This has a lot of potential. Bringing back that style of game has a lot of modern day potential, you know, where modern tech, uh, modern, you know, developments and software could really take advantage of it and make it something, make it a real thinking person's game uh, i look forward to it so i think that's pretty great also of course sierra uh created one of uh <laughs> uh guilt one of my great one of my favorite guilty pleasures that being the leisure suit larry series which is the leisure leisure suits larry the series never really died off they kept making other games for it like magna come loud that's a pun, uh, <laughs> but they were games that were pretty sexy and only the PC was really delivering that. No one was allowing for it on, you know, Nintendo at the time or well, Sega kind of allowed for it. And certainly the Atari 2600 had Custer's Revenge where General Custer fucks Pocahontas at the end, right? Yes, that happened in the video game 
in the 80s. Anyway, I look forward, and hey, I wasn't saying it was a good thing. I look forward to what's going to come out of Sierra Entertainment. Uh, I really, (laughs) admittedly, I wish the Williamses would come back. Maybe they are. I'll be back with more. This is Sovereignty. For 90 seconds on sex with Dr. Paul. I sometimes hear from women who are totally straight but enjoy watching gay male porn. They aren't into gay men as lovers and wonder if there's something unusual about this. I can assure you this is not unusual. There are women who prefer straight male partners but who like to watch gay male porn. Different cultures have different versions of this. In Japan, there's a very popular form of erotica called yaoi that's been created by women for women. It's made up of male characters who are romantically, emotionally, and sexually involved with each other. The masculine-looking hunks are way more emotional, chatty, romantic, and angst-filled than men are in real life and they're constantly having idyllic sex with each other. Now, you might think that this kind of erotica would be a turn-on for gay guys, but it's so much for women that gay men usually dislike it. Now, there's a very niche form of erotica here in the West that's called Slash, which is fiction about famous male characters such as Spock and Kirk or Starsky and Hutch or Harry and Snape, who, as it turns out, have sex with each other. So... Just like there are men who like to watch women have sex with women, there are women who like to watch or fantasize about men having sex with men. For more, visit 90secondsonsex.com. You are quite the man, Mr. Sovereign. Are you busy tonight? Natalia, if you'll excuse me, I uh, just received a very important email. Later then... Mr. Sovereign. Important email. It is time for important email, where I cover the emails that get sent to me via SovereignTech at RiseUp.net and all the other ways, BitMessage, RetroShare, all the other ways that uh, everybody gets in touch with me through the show. And uh, I really appreciate it. I try to provide as much as I can, though sometimes, boy, I wish... I kind of wish we were either all back to email or we came up with something better, more like RetroShare, right? Um... Before we get into the actual emails, and I've got a couple I want to get to, I want to make an offer to you, and I'm going to be doing this a lot. I have a lot of video games I'm going to be giving away because you know how I love video games. Uh, But also, this week, I am giving away, and this is really exciting. All you got to do is email me, or you can DM me on Twitter, whatever, and you can get a free copy, and this is going to be for three people, so the first three people that get to me and want this you can get a free copy of the audiobook version by Daryl W. Perry of FPP.cc, and a tremendous activist, a real, real stalwart in liberty. I mean, he is f- phenomenal. Uh, by Davi Barker, the book Authoritarian Sociopathy Toward a Renegade Psychological Experiment. Now, I can kind of tell you that what this book has to do with is the idea of a free market kind of Milgram experiment that solves a lot of the ethical issues of the Milgram experiment, which has to do with the idea that people, even if they know they're hurting somebody else, they'll go ahead and do it anyway, because they're responding to the authority of people in lab coats. So this is an interesting book and you can get a free copy of the audiobook on audible. I've got three free codes to give out. So 
you can you can message you know go ahead and message me email me whatever and three people the first three people i will send you a code okay and then in the coming weeks i'm going to be releasing video games every week or not, I'm not releasing the games. I'm going to be giving you a code for a free game every week. Of course, I'll tell you what the game is. And then I think I'm going to figure out a way to somehow interact because so I can get some kind of interaction from you for doing it. But I haven't devised that yet. But I want people to check check this book out, to check out the audiobook of it. And so you can email me. I'll send you a code. And then you can go to Audible, use the code, and there you go. You get the book for free, read by Daryl W. Perry. And, of course, the book is by Davi Barker, Authoritarian Sociopathy. Uh, tremendous read or listen in this case. And Daryl's got a hell of a voice. I mean, <laughs> like he, he can really pull off. I listen to his freedom minute almost every day. And, uh, I can imagine that listening to him on audio would probably pre be pretty great. Or, you know, listening to an audiobook read by him. So go ahead, shoot me an email, uh, or a message and, uh, and I'll get that off to you. Okay. Let's, uh, let's get into a couple listener emails. Um, one of them was that a person was looking for Android. Uh, they were looking for a, a good SSH client or just a great terminal client for, for Android. And this is a great question. Uh, and so I think he had mentioned one of the, one of the SSH clients that he had mentioned uh, that he was using, I think was ConnectBot, which that one's great. Um, I use, it's actually just called SSH client uh, by Ant Studios. And I like this one because it's updated pretty regularly uh, and which is important in the Android world. I mean, with really with any Android software, more so than certainly more so than iOS, it's really important to have the most updated Android version of Android, you know, KitKat or uh, Lemon Meringue Pie, I think is what they're going to end up calling Android L now. Uh, it's important to have updated software because of all the security bugs that just occur with Android. Uh, it's it's just something we can't escape. So it's really important to look for that. So I use SSH client in the uh, appendix in the show notes for this episode are links to the software I'm about to talk about. Okay, so look in the appendix section and you'll see that. Uh, so SSH client's really good if you're looking for an, the SSH, SSH client that I use. But there's a really simple piece of software if you're just looking for a terminal, for, for a more basic terminal. Uh, that's the Android Terminal Emulator. And this one, this is stock loaded if you ever install CyanogenMod. On an Android device, you'll find that this is already there. This is really kind of the gold standard. It's open source. You can look at the code on GitHub. It's really great. Uh, the and, it, and it's that's just what it's called. Android Terminal Emulator. Link is in the show notes in the appendix section. Uh, but he also mentioned that, you know, he had a hard time because he had the, the emailer had a tablet, just a nice little cheap $50 tablet, which is great. Uh, and that he had a problem with the tab key. And so if you're having keyboard trouble... With a lot of these, you know, more, uh, <laughs> more not user friendly, I'll say, even though they're friendly to me to have them, uh, not user friendly apps. There's the hacker's keyboard, which I've highlighted on the show before. It's probably my favorite keyboard out there. It is, they are now kind of designing it more towards being used for tablets than they do smartphones. So I have been using either just the stock Android. Uh, keyboard on my smartphone, or I use Swift key for my smartphone. But before I use the hacker's keyboard all the time. And again, it's open source. You can find it in the F droid store. Actually, you don't even have to go to the play store, but hacker's keyboard will allow for a lot more of those complex. It's, it's specifically designed to allow for more complex commands that those kind of apps would require. So you can check that out too. All the links are, are in the show notes. 
Uh, so just just look for them. Uh, but anyway, yeah, thank you for the question. And I could have done that for software of the week, but I got something really hot for software of the week this week that that excited me to no end. Uh, that I wanted to get out. So anyway, um, the next question is actually, I'm going to read a, an email here from an emailer who uh, he, he sent me quite a few emails and I, I can't wait to get through all of them because they are just great thoughts and great questions. Very insightful. Uh, let's see, dear Brian, thank you so much again for the content. I have been learning so much. There's multiple O's. I wish I had found you sooner so I could have distributed emails as appropriate through the years, as I am sure that a sudden glut uh, commenting on the last 60 episodes would be overwhelming and pointless. Not pointless, not overwhelming. I just can't respond personally to them all the time, but I definitely love to get to them on the show. Uh, But yes, keep the emails coming. I did, however, want to comment on your views of intrinsic value that I think or and I think that what you said at the Texas Bitcoin conference was great but I would like to propose another way of thinking about it. So to sum up what I had said uh, at the Texas Bitcoin conference, I gave a talk. I also gave it in Toronto, but I don't know that that was released uh, where I talked about the idea that at the time, I don't think this is the case anymore now, but at the time, a lot of people used the argument against Bitcoin saying it doesn't hold any intrinsic value. You can use gold And that has intrinsic value because you can use it for things. You can make a fork out of it is what some people said. Uh, There's a whole bunch of ridiculous answers to that. Um, And so I brought up the argument of cowrie shells, how gold really isn't, doesn't hold the intrinsic, like that there's no real history of what the intrinsic value of gold was in the first place, blah, blah, blah. Uh, And so it was all about the idea that value is subjective. Okay. And which I still hold to. And I think this emailer agrees with. So, I will go on. And of course, if you want to look for it, there was a special where I released the full audio of um, because part of that part of the talk I gave at the Texas Bitcoin conference got cut off by the conference itself from their official released video, because I don't think they liked what I had to say about the Bitcoin Foundation, even though I do love Bitcoin. Um, Okay, so gold has no value until someone combines it with their time to produce something or let's see, I, I missed a sentence. A person's time is the only thing of intrinsic value. I totally agree with the emailer on this. I think you're absolutely right. Now, most people, how would you define intrinsic value? Intrinsic value is that it does something out of the gate. You know, it doesn't, subjective value means it means something to you. Intrinsic value means it means something to everything and it can do something that, you know, that everything does, blah, 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 blah. Uh, nothing really has intrinsic value Except for, I agree with this email. I think this is a very interesting point that time has intrinsic value. Uh, of course, is time a commodity? Can you trade time? Not yet. <laughs> Maybe you can. I mean, there might be an argument that you can make to where that's, that's all possible. Um, but I think this is really important to bring up uh, under the idea of an intrinsic value that time would be the thing. Um, I mean, and does, does time exist Yes, of course it does. Uh, I mean, you have the, you know, time is space and time. There, time is not a separate thing. Space time is one and the same. Uh, and so, and if space time is, has matter as in it has energy, first law of thermodynamics, right? Uh, that, and there can only be, there, there can never be less or more energy than time is, I guess, actually, I suppose the argument could be made. Time is a physical thing because it's not just time it's space time so uh but whatever i'm I'm getting way out there than what this emailer is trying to get at uh but i think it's a great point gold has no value and that was my argument that gold doesn't have any intrinsic value 
Gold has no value until someone combines it with their time to produce something that saves someone else's time, which, of course, occurs now. It's put in electronics and it's very efficient with electronics, and so it saves time. Different things have subjective value to different people based on what they can produce with it when combined with their time. All we really do is continually attempt to maximize the time we have before we die. Money only has value as a matter of record keeping who owes who how much time. This also fits with the idea that people have that people have intrinsic value as in a person has intrinsic value. I would further argue that all things you say have subjective value, have that value because of the time it took to collect or make that thing. Yeah, I, I think by and large, I'm agreeing with this. It might be that I might that I make someone or it might be that I make someone that no one else values, but it took or maybe something, but it took me a year of my life to produce. I am going to value it. Some I, I assume you mean something. Maybe you mean someone. I also wanted to make some comments about the universe, but I'll, okay. So we'll save that for another email is comments about the universe. Um, yeah, I, I think this is, this is a really interesting point to bring up, uh, that time is really the only thing that has value and it kind of, it brings up the whole notion of property and property is a sticky subject. In fact, I had someone call in last week about, uh, about property on free talk live and saying, what would property look like in an anarchist world? Uh, and my answer was not very definitive, but that's very much on purpose. Uh, I agree with Max Stirner, who uh, I am a member of his school of anarchism, I guess you could say. He, he's dead. He's long dead. A German uh, philosopher from the 19th century wrote a tremendous book called The Ego and Its Own. Of course, my listeners probably already you've heard me talk about that before um, in that to have like he never had a strong opinion on property because his only his main concern with property is that it could be just as controlling as religions or various religions or governments or whatever you know domination institutions and structures exist out there and i think that's a fair warning i think that's very true that property can be it's a, it's an incredibly complex subject um but it does this argument brings up the really the core as I understand it, the core kind of capitalist, anarcho-capitalist idea of property, which is that, like, say with land, this is usually where everybody gets into an argument about property, even though I think an argument could be made about the, the very nature of property. But we'll save that for a minute. The With land, it, a lot of people think that, that anarcho-capitalists say you can own land. Most people would actually, or as I understand it, the core of the anarcho-capitalist message of what property is, you cannot own land. You can own the time and labor that you put into the land. And of course, I guess what various things that you put onto it, and that gets into the different types of property where there's private property and then there's personal property. Personal property is something that you can move like a car or whatever. Um, and then private property, uh, you know, would be the idea of like, land and people argue whether you can ever own that blah, 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 blah. But uh, this idea of time being the only thing with intrinsic value definitely falls into that idea. It falls into the idea of homesteading. I'm not saying I, I agree with the whole idea of homesteading or the idea of, you know, owning land, blah, blah, blah. Uh, I'm just saying that, that it falls in line with that. And so I think it's something that's very much worth exploring that time is really the only thing that has any actual value and something that you put time into will hold value for you. But then if that becomes subjective value, 
does it have to hold value to anyone else and do they have to respect it? That becomes, you know, a whole other issue. Um, and I think it's interesting. Maybe I'm going in an area that the emailer didn't intend, but I got his message out and I, I think it's a, it's a really interesting thought, the idea of time having intrinsic value. And again, like I said, technically time does have mass or, you know, it does have, it, it is a physical thing. Um, but moving on. <laughs> and of course, if someone disagrees with me, someone has a different definition of physics, you can email me and, and we can talk about that, right? Um, the idea, the very core of the idea of property, and thus the idea of something having value, I suppose, is that you own yourself. Now, I have a little bit of an issue with this idea that you own yourself. I'm not saying it's not true. I'm just saying that you're sort of defining yourself as property and thus you're kind of insulting yourself. And because there's a lot of people that make the argument, uh, especially in, in ANCAP circles and libertarian circles, where they would say that another person can voluntarily choose to be a slave or whatever to another person or belong to another person because they own themselves. They are their own property. And as they are property, someone else can own them. Now, myself, I find that to be incredibly insulting, uh, you know, and I, and I think it's not true. I don't think another person can own another person. Uh, I mean, it, yeah, does it go on? Of course it goes on. Thomas Jefferson did it. Uh, people get married and will often, in fact, that was one of the ways I've heard it come up in a libertarian conversation was that, look, my wife is mine. Again, I find it detesting. I find it uh, very anti-liberty. The idea that's they, you know, or I mean, this is something a lot of religious people do. I belong to God, so I follow his will. And that that's just, it, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Now, a lot of people will make the case that, well, we, we call ourselves property. We say we own ourselves because that's the best way that we could possibly describe this. It's the only human, it's the only words that we can find to really describe what we're talking about. But then that's it. If we can't really describe the nature of being an individual, the nature of humanity, then the entire, in my opinion, the ideas of property are up for grabs. Because I don't, think that someone I or it's not a matter of think I know someone cannot own me if they own me I lose freedom thus I am not a free person thus I cannot be property because I cannot be owned so we need to this is something that deserves a lot of questioning um, as to what all that really means I don't have a hard dogma to give you okay and I have other things I need to worry about <laughs> So I'm open to this conversation, but most people shut this conversation down before it can even be had. And that's an issue. Uh, recently, I've gotten a lot of emails that um, where, where people have shared really far out ideas with me, and I'm going to be discussing all of them. I am incredibly proud that this show is a safe haven for the most outrageous, and I mean that in a good way, the most outrageous ideas. Uh, I'm really honored that that's the case. 
because I, I mean, that, that says to me that people feel welcome when they listen to this. Cause I know I can come down with a hard line sometimes. And I know a lot of people disagree with me and they keep on listening and we can disagree. It's all right. We really can disagree. We can have that conversation. You can email me and talk to me about things. Like I, I think this is tremendously insightful what this emailer sent in the idea that time has intrinsic value. I could be wrong and I'm open to be proven wrong, but that's the beauty of the thing is that you, you know, you can write into the show, you can interact with me, and I don't tell you that you're broken. I talk about it. We have the conversation to where, you know, why I think so, so and so, and you think so and so. And it's a powerful forum that needs to be had. It is the purpose of the internet, it is the purpose of communication, in my opinion. Or it should be the purpose of communication technologies, anyway. So, yeah, uh, I, I really, again, I like this idea that time is the only thing with intrinsic value. Um, and I'm sure there's, the, you know, the emails are going to be a light. And there are some brilliant people who discuss property with me. And I totally respect their, their, their mentality and their brains on it. And I'm open to a lot of ideas. But I think holding a hard, I do agree, holding a hard dogma on property can be a real problem. Uh, because, I mean, you know, so many things, because this is where it turns into, and boy, I've talked about this before, where libertarians start talking about, well, we made a contract, we made a contract, made a contract. You know, the one thing I agree with George W. Bush on, when he said the Constitution was a God, it was just a goddamn piece of paper. I totally agree. It is just a goddamn piece of paper. It means nothing to nobody, except for maybe the people that signed it. But you didn't sign it. I didn't sign it. Nobody alive signed it. Unless St. Germain's real. Let's discuss this. Let's get over this because I don't think we have clear enough definitions of what property looks like to where we can even say what it'd be in an anarchist world. Hey, everybody. It's Stephanie. I am the sovereign tech producer. But did you know I am also a voiceover artist? Yes, it's true. I make audiobooks, commercials for your business. I narrate explainer videos pretty much any audio project that you can think of, I'm probably willing to work on it, or I have worked on it in the past. And if you want to hear some samples of my previous work, or you want to find out a little bit more about what I do, then I encourage you to check out my voiceover website, which is smvoice.info, smvoice.info. Now back to Sovereign Tech. Agent Sovereign, go to this webpage and follow... What kind of webpage is this? Is that Natalia? I better go to the website of the week. It is time for website of the week. But before I get to it, we've got a doozy. Uh, I do want to just comment a little bit on the last one in that, you know, I think I'm going to have the lovely and hyper intelligent Dr. Stephanie Murphy on the show next week. And I think that this idea of owning yourself needs to have some further discussion. And she, I, I mean, she's brilliant. And uh, I think that 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 would really be a great conversation to have. And we'll do it maybe for the climax next week. So more to be said about this, because I agree there is an axiomatic kind of issue with saying, you know, calling yourself property. But then if you're not that you're kind of talking about it from without yourself. And I mean, there's there's really there, there are issues there. And I think it's a conversation that really needs to be had because there's some deep questions uh, to be answered and explored. So anyway, website of the week. I've talked often about that. I think, or maybe I haven't talked about it often, but, (laughs) uh, but I feel like I do that. I think that the internet or, you know, our, our 
digital communications need to get relocalized or that they will, there will be a desire for them to be relocalized and that social networks, the future of social networks will not be for those social networks to, you know, be this all encompassing thing like Facebook or whatever, but it will be pockets, cells of social networks and come to find out that there is something like that kind of exists. You know, I'm talking about like BBSs, things of that nature. Okay. But something like that sort of already exists and is being tried. So, I mean, it's not my idea alone. I don't know how I missed hearing about this. Maybe I just laughed it off years ago when it was released, um, but it's called next door and it's nextdoor.com that you can go to. And this is just that it is a social networking service that's designed for neighborhoods in the U S uh, I think it's out in other countries now too. Uh, it was getting beta tested in 2011. I think it was like around 200 different neighborhoods were using it. Um, and it does, it is a, you know, based on it's free to use. And so it has an advertising model, but then how the hell are they getting advertising money? If they're not, you know, schlepping out to all the big names like Facebook does and Twitter does, uh, what they would actually use was local businesses to advertise on the network, to pay for the network. Uh, that, you know, again, that way, that, that way it's free. Um, and while the idea by and large sounds pretty good and pretty close to what I a want and B anticipate for what's to come, uh, maybe this has some issues. Now, a lot of people were saying that it might replace Craigslist for what that does. And Craigslist kind of does that. And that's, what's amazing is Craig is that Craigslist so organically became such a big deal because I think it, it appealed to people's natural instincts of, you know, wanting to, you know, wanting connection, not just digital connection, but they just wanted an enhancement to what they already do. They're wanting community, all of this. Uh, and so next door was kind of a, kind of a competitor to Craigslist. And it, I mean, it's still out there and it's still working, um, but here's some of the issues with it. Okay. So I'm not recommending this. I don't think this is a good business model and I don't think this is a good business. Um, before you register an account, uh, you have to verify your home address. So there's no anonymity here. Uh, you have to include that it'd be in verification would include a credit card uh, or confirming a code that gets mailed uh, or phoned to you, you know, to the prospective user. Uh, and it, it's really <laughs> like, I mean, that that just eliminates the anonymity of it. You know, because you have to attach a credit card. They've got to know your address and all this stuff where I don't with the BBS system. Your address was not required. Yes, you knew what phone number was coming in and sysadmins can know all kinds of information. So we want to improve on the BBS model, but this is not that improvement. Uh, <laughs> so, in fact, there's a quote here from uh, Nick Wingfield of the New York Times uh, saying he was worried that the site may be used to publicly shame neighbors or lead to snarky messages between residents. And obviously, yeah, this becomes a real problem, too, because then it's just like, you know, it's not people connecting better. It's just people getting ways to get in your face without having to actually be in front of you, which allows them to, you know, say all, you know, or which may implore them to say all kinds of crazy shit that they would never say to your face, which makes it inauthentic and thus you know, not, not what you're wanting out of connection because you want authenticity and connection. Right. And the other thing, this is kind of funny on May 14th, 2014, uh, Nirav Tolia, the CEO of next door was charged with a felony hit and run 
for fleeing a crash on Highway 101 in California uh, that left a woman injured. And here's I love this quote. Uh, it's ironic that the CEO of a company that is holding itself out as trying to promote neighborliness, crime watch and things like that flees the scene of an accident that he caused and doesn't even bother to call 911 or stay around to exchange information. It is ironic because this isn't about connecting. This is about business and fuck that. Bombing the Narn back to the Stone Age wasn't enough for you. Then we heard it. The sound of something terrible being born. This is madness. Station 3 to Commander Ivanova. Centauri have launched a full-scale assault. Time has come and gone! It's our turn now! Two million tons of spinning metal, all alone in the night. A world where empires rise and fall. Where dreams are born and die. Where war and hatred are challenged by love and faith. In the third age of mankind, an age plagued by an evil empire that seeks to destroy humanity. It is our last best hope for peace, for victory, for freedom. It is Babylon 5. Babylon 5 is available for download on your favorite torrent site. See it now to experience the greatest show in television history. Babylon 5. I don't know if I can get us away from that helicopter. Don't you have a gun? Oh, there's never a need for lethal force. I'll handle this. How did you do that? We'll be fine. A quick hack solves everything. Hack, sack. It is time for HackSec, where we talk hacker issues, security issues. And this week, I want to get right into it. This week, I've got a, an opinion piece uh, from Mike Elgin, who I am a huge fan of. Uh, I really, uh, Mike Elgin's been on the show before. Uh, he does tremendous work in the tech world. Uh, and this is from Computer World. And uh, again, this is clearly an opinion piece. Um, and, he's, and it's titled, Opinion, I Want to Live in a Surveillance Society. Uh, and I want to talk about this. And some of this we've talked about in the past, um, but let, let's get right into it. In my first year as a reporter for a local newspaper back in the year, mumble, mumble, <laughs> Mike Elgin's a bit of an older gentleman. Uh, I sat down to interview three candidates for city council who were running as a slate. Uh, I pulled out my tape recorder and one of them said, I'm sorry, but we're not willing to do the interview if you're going to record it. When I asked why, he said, because we don't want to be misquoted. <laughs> Golden Stallion here. That's ridiculous. Yeah, we don't want to be misquoted when you're recording it. So that way you can't be misquoted. The logic of politicians, right? The candidates didn't trust me because the editorial page of the newspaper I worked for had endorsed their opponents. But the encounter always bothered me. How can a verbatim record of a conversation increase the chance of being misquoted? At the time, I hesitated for a moment and considered walking away from the interview. But I changed my mind and put the tape recorder away. In hindsight, I should have said, look, I can't take notes as fast as my tape recorder can. Why don't you grab a tape recorder, too? We'll both tape it. If I misquote you, you can prove it. 
The problem they had, and one problem with surveillance in general, is that it upsets the balance of power. Whoever has the tape has the power to use, not use, selectively use, or misuse the information or proof of evidence recorded. That is an incredibly important point. All the different ways it can be used. The opposite of privacy. Uh, Privacy advocates warn of a wide range of new assaults on our freedoms facilitated by new technologies. Among these, the growing ubiquity of surveillance cameras, especially in the UK and the US, which now have endemic surveillance. According to a new report, uh, our freedoms are threatened because technology dramatically improves the efficiency with which they can monitor us. Yet we often have no counterbalancing way to monitor them. Privacy advocates fight hard to oppose secret phone taps, surveillance cameras and other intrusions based on the idea that some things are private and Big Brother has no business always watching you. And I think this is true. We talked about this last week. You know, keeping them from doing it, arguing them and, and whatever, protesting them, implementing these things is perhaps, you know, one of the only ways to fight it, because we cannot match the bank account of the NSA to thwart this stuff. And yeah, maybe we can outsmart it, but that is slow going and it's taking its sweet time. Uh, maybe that's necessary for it to take its sweet time. But this is but that's an important point is that and, and I read I talked about this last week. Steve Gibson said we're kidding ourselves if we think we can match the buying power of the NSA. Uh, you know, the, the I mean, yeah. And, and or the amount of time that they spent working on this stuff, because most of us didn't even know any of this, any of these problems existed. Bad USB. Huh? A teen murder suspect, uh, I suppose those who, sorry, I suppose those who fight for our right to, uh, I support those who fight for our right to privacy, but I think they're fighting only half the battle. In addition to the right to keep private what should be private, we also need to fight for our right to make public what should be public. A teen murder suspect uh, named Eric Crespo complained during his recent trial that he was inappropriately interrogated by the NYPD Uh, The teen claimed that during the interrogation, the detective told him that he wouldn't be allowed to see a judge unless he signed a confession. He also claimed that the detective tried to talk him out of speaking with a lawyer. But the detective claimed under oath that he never even interrogated Crespo. Conflicts like this happen in court all the time. People lie to spin events in their favor. Sometimes the best liar wins. Some uh, politicians, sometimes the best, most credible source wins. An experienced police detective, for example, might be considered by a jury as more credible than some 17 year old kid. Of course, that would be the appeal to authority. It turns out, however, that the detective was lying through his teeth. We know this because the teenager secretly hit the record button on his MP3 player. Kudos. During the interrogation, his lawyer produced the recording in court after the detective committed 12 counts of perjury. Woo! (laughs) In this case, justice was served for one and only one reason. A recorder in the control of the suspect was running during the interrogation. And although I can't prove it, I believe the suspect was extra honest about the interrogation, too, for the very same reason. When people know an event or conversation was or might have been recorded, they tend to be very honest about it later on. Crespo was able to record the interrogation only because he did so secretly. If he had announced at the beginning of the interview his intention to record, the police could and would have taken it away. Shouldn't recording your own police interrogation be a constitutionally protected right, like the right to an attorney? If not, why not? Well, I want to interject here 
quick because honestly, I don't think that that's going to be admissible in court. And in fact, I'm pretty sure in a lot of places it probably isn't in that if you are recording someone, in fact, there's what do they call two way states where if you're calling not even the government, if you're calling a company, uh, you have to tell them that you're recording. Otherwise, it's pretty much inadmissible, as I understand it. I might my. My understanding of law, considering my disposition for law, uh, might be really off, but uh, I don't think that that's that kind of thing. Good job on the teenager, but I don't think that kind of a thing is going to be allowed for much longer, uh, especially when police can turn off your iPhone. You know, he had an MP3 player that probably didn't have a wireless connection that saved his ass. Uh, but with, you know, interconnected devices, nah, that you, you might not be so lucky. Uh, a few years ago, the parents of a nine-year-old with Down syndrome and ADHD suspected a school bus driver of abusing their son, so they secretly stashed a tape recorder in the boy's backpack. Sure enough, the recorder captured evidence of abuse. It was legal for the parents to hide the recorder, but the tape was ruled inadmissible in court. Uh -huh. Because Wisconsin state law prohibits the use of intercepted conversations. What made the tape an intercepted conversation was the fact that the adults doing the recording were not themselves on the bus. The law exists to protect the privacy of those recorded, but is a special needs bus really a private space for the bus driver? Shouldn't parents be able to secretly record the actions of their children's caregivers if they suspect abuse and to use those recordings in court against the abusers? If not, why not? There are many situations we'd like to see surveillance legalized, normal, normalized, or even required, including interaction with police, uh, any interaction between caregiver and child, Anytime politicians meet with lobbyists, court, uh, and your own phone calls. So now, of course, let, let's be clear here that Mike Elgin is making this case. He still wants government. He still see government sees governments as a necessity. Uh, and that is kind of the backbone of what we're talking about here. Um, but let's read more. Surveillance technology is on the rise. Powerful organizations, law enforcement, corporations, governments, and others have demanded and won the right to videotape the public, often secretly. And I appreciate Mike Elgin listing law enforcement, corporations, governments, and others. Very across the board there, and I agree. They do this in order to hold individuals accountable for their actions. Yet the rights of individuals to use similar technology to do the same are often restricted. Why should shoppers, pedestrians, bank customers, and citizens be held accountable, but politicians, police, judges, and others are not? What kind of democracy is that? As we fight and argue, vote and campaign for keeping private business private, let's also make sure we claim and win the right to use our own ubiquitous camera phones, recording devices, and other technologies to keep public business public. Now, I thought this was a good write-up. Uh, again, it is coming from the argument that we need government. And David Brin makes similar arguments, and he, of course, would also say we need government. In fact, he believes in the idea of covalence, which we've discussed. Uh, we had a bit of a discussion about that, with, uh, of course, with Dr. Stephanie Murphy and um, Paige Peterson of MadeSafe. Uh, and, you know, I think we all kind of agree, and I've talked to other people about this, too. I think everybody agrees that they wouldn't mind what they call what Cory Doctorow calls little brother. In fact, there's a book about that to where you spy on the spies as much as they spy on you. You keep an eye on the NSA as much as they keep an eye on you. And again, this is something that comes down to the issue of security. People uh, are saying you know, the reason that they can get away with not letting you watch them, corporations, law enforcement, governments, politicians, is that 
it's for your security. It's for the, for national security. And so the only way that the, that really surveillance and a lot of this stuff actually gets, gets sold to people and successfully sold to people, this one way, you know, spying this one way surveillance is through the elimination of the individual. And while I agree, I think that it would be very, it very much highlights when you consider something like a hashtag my NYPD that occurred on Twitter, where I came to the realization that Panopticon does not exist because little brother is already out there. And when the New York police department said, please send us your wonderful, send us your pictures of your wonderful interactions with our officers, with our, you know, with New York's best. Uh, and then they ended up with a bunch of pictures of the NYPD being positively brutal to innocent people. Uh, you know, that, that, that is a powerful tactic to use. Okay. But let's be clear that I don't think necessarily that a public record would be so necessary in an actual anarchist world in a world where there's governments absolutely fucking lootly you put as many cameras and thermal detectors on those people as you can to make sure we know what they're doing whenever they're handling public business whether they're talking like mike elgin the lobbyists or whatever you know yes let's have access to that to that information blah 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 but in an anarchist world i would hope that this stuff just wasn't really necessary in fact the highlight on the individual and individual action really makes a lot of surveillance, you know, kind of obsolete. Um, you know, it really does. And then, of course, people are going to talk about, well, you're going to have dispute resolutions you're going to have to have. You're going to want a record of that, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, that's something that needs to be uh, discussed. But this idea of little brother, uh, you know, may not be. I, I, it's another discussion that needs to be had. I, I just want to say that I do support it in the present system that we have. This idea of watching the watchers, I'm a big supporter of it, but I think it's open to some debate as to what role it would play outside of domination structures. I'll be back with more. This is Simon Cowell. Hey, everybody. I really appreciate all of you that listen to Sovereign Tech. I hope you have as much fun listening to the show as I do making it. And hey, if you have a good time listening or learn something from listening, you can donate to the show. Just look in the show notes at SovereignTech.com. There you'll see uh, addresses for Bitcoin, Blackcoin, Next, Litecoin, whole slew of ways to donate to the show. And believe me, I'm not going to complain if you only send two millibits or what equates to two dollars unlike some people but you know also you can donate via paypal using the affiliate links on the left hand side of sovereigntech.com and oh yes please feel free to use those affiliate links you can also help the show by circling me on google plus following me on twitter or following sovereign tech on soundcloud anything you can do to help believe me it helps so i love all of you and thank you so much for listening now let's get back to more sovereign tech Well, looks like we made it out of the country. Good driving. Let's find some place to relax. Somewhere with a nice big bed, I think. Let me pull up an app. Sounds good to me. Software of the Week. It is time for Software of the Week, and I have a doozy for you. Uh, and, yeah, I just I want to say again that it is so refreshing to see the idea, the, the covalence or the little brother idea 
catching a lot of steam um, in what is more mainstream uh, media. Uh, that That's really exciting. That's why I was happy to highlight that, uh, that bit by Mike Elgin there. Um, anyway, let's talk about some software. And this is software. This is something, oh boy, did I want. Uh, Chrome OS. I have a love-hate relationship with Google. Um, Chrome OS, I have a love-hate relationship with its very ideology, its very existence. Uh, but it, it, I cannot help but be attracted to its minimalist and simplistic and very secure nature. But one of the things missing from Chrome OS was an app that is very important to me, very near and dear to my heart. And that's a comic book reader. Uh, now, <laughs> now, of course, you could go to the Comixology website if you buy comic books uh, and you can read, you know, you can read everything through the web page, uh, all very, you know, basically. But of course, you can't do anything offline. Um, but here we go. Finally, somebody. Now, there was there was software out there. I might have even talked about it on Sovereign Tech in the past. There was like really experimental software out there that could read CBR files, because if you download comic books or if you're able to purchase them and download them, whatever, um, they come in that format where it's CBR or CBZ, which is really just a unique way of saying RAR or ZIP. That's all those files really are. You can make them yourself. You can put a whole bunch of pictures together and, uh, and then create your own little book. And maybe that's something you want to do. And now you can read it on Chrome OS, right? Um, so this is great. This is so cool because I grab CBR files pretty often. And now I can read them on my Chromebook. And the app is called Astonishing comic reader. Now this is also available for Android and it's pretty good. It's not the best one for Android. I give that title to uh, comic reader Moby, but astonishing does a really great job. And I'm running a, you know, a pretty low end by comparison. Now a pretty low end Chrome OS device. Uh, I'm running, you know, the C720, the original C720 that only has two gig of Ram on it. The processor has got plenty of power. Just the Ram can be a little ugly. And it runs pretty good on that. In fact, the previous software, I can't think of the name of it, uh, the previous software that existed that you could kind of experiment with to read CBR and CBZ files on a, within the Chrome browser uh, was terrible with memory management. And so Astonishing has solved all of that. Uh, it really has. And it's got, a, it's got a pretty basic, nice, simple interface. Uh, I like it. I like it a lot. And I like the fact that now, you know, my Chromebook can do can pull off one more very important trick. Uh, and I, I think it's a good thing because yeah, at some point I'll talk about it more, but I really have a problem with a lot of these, um, a lot of subscription services that comics are getting really popularly put into, uh, because you never actually, you never actually kind of have control of what, of what you buy. Okay. You, you never really have that to where you can keep it, forever as to where before when you bought a cd that music was effectively yours ironically we're bringing up property again right <laughs> but that cd was yours and now if you pay for like spotify and all these other digital services um you really don't have them you know and those services could spotify could just say yeah we're going under Yes, something will come up and take its place. But if you put in a lot of time, remember, time is the thing with intrinsic value, right? I like that emailer. Uh, if you put a lot of time in honing your playlists and all that stuff, that's all gone now. You know, so there's a real issue, 
I think, with the idea of of having a lot of things very cloud-based and not working offline. Now, that's the other nice thing is Astonishing, of course, works completely offline. And if you download CBR and CBZ files, even if you bought the physical comic book or if you got it from Comixology, it's still a good idea to get your hands on the CBR or CBZ file so that you can have actual control of what happens to that file. You can read it. You know, offline, you don't have to you don't have to have an Internet connection. You have as much control as you can have over just about anything. Uh, so I am a big fan of, you know, having CBR and CBZ files. I, I really you know, I really, really am. Um, and honestly, you know, I mean, the, the comic book industry isn't making the money off of comic book sales anymore. Anyway, they're making it off of the movies. And ironically, uh, you know, I've heard many, many a comic book fan, including Mark Edge, uh, my co-host on Free Talk Live, who has said, look, I go to, I go to the theater to support my comic book company, you know, and he's, and they're getting way more money out of him for doing that than, and for a whole bunch of other people to feel the same way than they are for, uh, you know, for the comics that they're selling because they're just, it's, it's kind of something that's fading away. But anyway, so if you like CBR and CBZ files, if that's your, you know, your, your way of choice to read comic books. And I love comic books. I mean, I love comic books. Uh, astonishing comic reader is the way to go. If in fact, maybe it's the way to go with anything because it's a Chrome app. It could work on windows, uh, you know, and, and OS X as well as the all, you know, the, the all secure, uh, Chrome OS. So check it out. Astonishing link is in the show notes to take you to the Chrome web store for it. Use it on Android too. If you want, I'll be back with more. What does freedom mean? Tune into LRN.FM to find out. LRN.FM is the Liberty Radio Network, a collection of live talk radio and podcasts, all coming from a principled pro-liberty perspective. LRN.FM show hosts aren't left, right, or conspiracy kooks. You can tune in 24-7 to LRN.FM via your phone, computer, satellite, and more. Listen free anytime at LRN.FM. That's LRN.FM. Natalia. Oh, oh, it feels so good. I'm so close. I know what you need. The Climax. It is time for The Climax, and uh, I gave you a preview of what next week's Climax will most likely be. We're going to talk about property, uh, you know, and, and perhaps the nature of, of uh, be, what being human is to some degree, which I think would be a great discussion to have with a biochemist. <laughs> that being, of course... The, the Duchess, uh, the, the, oh, there's some other ones too. I, I can't, I don't have them written down that, uh, that a listener, a really great listener that I, I, I really love. He, um, he came up with some other ones for Stephanie Murphy and anyway, I'll have to write them down, but, uh, yeah, so we'll, we'll talk about that because, and I don't want anybody to think like that somehow, you know, that I'm a, and I don't mean left libertarian. I don't mind that label, but somehow I'm some leftist person on the notions of property. Uh, I'm, I'm not, I do think that. I just think there needs to be a very long discussion about this matter because it is poorly, poorly termed. Uh, anyway, this week I want to talk about imagination because the climax is where I can talk about whatever I want to talk about. It could be a website, it could be a movie, it done tons of movies, it could be uh, an album, uh, which, boy, speaking of an album, holy shit, I had no idea. One of my favorite guitarists who I've featured on this, uh, or, you know, I've talked about in the past on the show, um, Richie Kotzen, 
one of the arguably one of the great some people would say Neil Peart, but perhaps one of the greatest drummers of all time, Mike Portnoy from Dream Theater. And I've talked about Dream Theater before. I love those guys. Uh, he's not with them now, but anyway. And then next, to, well, I mean, I love Gene Simmons, but arguably one of the best uh, bassists of all time, that being Billy Sheehan, who from uh, Mr. Big and a bunch of other projects, they have a band. They're called the Winery Dogs, and they came out with an album in 2013. And it's like, how the fuck did, how did I not know about this in the first place? Certainly. But how did nobody even bother to tell me who are my friends? What good are my friends if they don't listen to Richie Kotzen? No, I'm kidding about that. Uh, Richie Kotzen's amazing. And I listened to the album from the Winery Dogs. It is phenomenal. Uh, Do check that out. So, but anyway, I want to talk about imagination. And I want to lead this off with, because this has to do with science fiction, and it's relative to what we were talking about with Minority Report. Uh, Albert Einstein is known for a really great quote that I have quoted before. Imagination is more important than knowledge for knowledge is limited to all we know. We now know and understand while imagination embraces the entire world and all there ever will be to know and understand. Most people don't put in that second part of the quote. They just stop at the first one. Then they like to use it to go crazy with quantum physics, but that's the entirety of it. And I think it's true. There is a difference. Imagination is more important than knowledge. And what I see happening, and I'm realizing it more and more as I am developing uh, my own game for Zomia Offline Games, is that there's not a whole lot of creativity out there. Uh, There's not a lot of people really, like, there's a lot. I see a lot of people doing the song and dance, but I don't see anybody feeling the spirit of the music. And it's not just true in video games. It's true in a lot of books. It's true in a lot of movies uh, that that I just feel are all by the numbers. It's all, you know, uh, connect the dots and or not even connect the dots. It's all paint by numbers. Right. That's what that's where the phrase by the numbers sort of comes from. Not not entirely. But anyway. Uh, And this is concerning to to me in that because and also this is something we talked about in the past where Google one of their requirements for a new idea that you have is show me where it is in science fiction, and then you can start developing on it. That's straight from Google. That's one of the rules. And I think this limits us. Uh, I think a lot of these things limit us. Uh, a lot of people have, have, have actually sent in articles, and I'm going to talk more about this in the future. They sent in articles where people are coming up with bioluminescent plants to light our streets Instead of using uh, street lamps and street lights. And I think this is a really great idea. Someone really thought out of the box for this one because what did they do? They said, How can we do this without electricity? That's fascinating. How many of our technological developments and, and, and quality of life improvements? Now, yes, someone's going to say, well, street lamps used to be a candle. Yeah, no shit. Okay, <laughs> you're missing the point. But a lot of our technolo- technological improvements, a lot of these things, I think, may be really held up in the fact that they are, 
there's nothing wrong with basing it upon the shoulders of giants, but they're not really getting to the core. They're not really getting to the bottom. They're not really starting from scratch. Do you have time to start from scratch? No, not always. I don't have time to write a game from scratch. I'm using various engines, you know, to help me out with that. Okay, sure. But then let's consider where we're putting our money, like with various Kickstarter projects and all this stuff. My point, my overall point being, that is that I don't think people look deep enough and they're so busy just looking, okay, what's the latest app to come out when they don't even consider that maybe a touch interface is antithetical to efficiency and quality of life. Does that make sense? I'm not seeing a whole lot of, I'm not reading about it and maybe it's because uh, in fact, uh, John Dvorak, the great John C. Dvorak, who is a bit of a personal hero, uh, he shared an article on Twitter this week uh, about how Time magazine highlighted the best journalists of our day. And one of the criteria for highlighting the best journalists out there today was that how well did they treat their advertisers? Do you see the problem? of coming up with genuinely great new ideas when the thinking, the line of thinking of, of the thinkers is how do we keep the money flowing? I think we're trapped. Like we mentioned in the earlier article, I think, I think just like in minority report, how we're trapped uh, with the UI that people want to develop and Iron Man and all this stuff. I think we're trapped in what exactly we can do. I don't think somebody's sitting down for a second and saying, what if we just let's get back to zero and let's just completely rethink what we're doing here. And it's true. I mean, there's no question that this is an epidemic, uh, a pandemic you know, in the world, because no one thinks for two seconds that, gee, yeah, maybe this government thing's a bad idea. Well, I mean, yes, some people do, right? That's why we're here. But so many people don't. They just don't, they don't question it. They don't question the depth. And I think a lot of that comes from, like we were talking about with Mike Elgin, that desire for security, that desire for surety. When there is no certainty, nothing is certain. Not even death and taxes. And that's a problem when people think there it is right there. People thinking death, the only thing that's certain is death and taxes. Well, I'd like to say the taxes are not certain. In fact, there's quite a few less in New Hampshire as compared to other places. I like to think death is not certain. I have no intention of dying ever. And that doesn't mean I'm going to become some ethereal spirit. There are no certainties. There are no sureties. There is really not anything. There is really no such thing as, as, as security. There's a, there's a great quote from Joseph Campbell. Uh, it goes along the lines of, if you know your journey, if you have your plan set step by step, it's not your plan. It's not your journey. Because the only now the because it's not yours because your journey you can only make by your own steps step by step step by step you can't possibly see what's ahead of you there's no way because then it's not yours you're living someone else's journey someone else's plan someone else's dream 
And so I'm a little annoyed, you know, that there's just there's so much out there that uh, I mean, there's something to be said for homage. You know, there's something to be said for uh, tribute to to an idea or, you know, legacy stuff. All there's something to be said for all those things. But I think we get far too trapped in the the goings on the day by day, the what other someone else's think he thinks, you know, all of this. Uh, yeah, let's make it like Game of Thrones. You know, let's just copy that magic. And, uh, you know, and, all this, and, and there's just there's a lack of originality. You know, Isaac Asimov, getting back to like science fiction and stories, Isaac Asimov uh, is famously said, and I've said it before on this show, that all stories lead back to Torah. Meaning that every story, you know, is really just a rehash of something in the Old Testament. By and large, I think he's right. There's very few original stories out there. And it actually leads me to believe, you know, I'm a big fan of nonviolent communication. And one of the things I've argued about with nonviolent communication, kind of against it, is that you really can't write a novel in nonviolent communication because there's no conflict. You'd have to create that conflict. You cannot create that story where there isn't necessarily conflict. This is coming to head for me because I would actually like my game for Zomia to be a pretty nonviolent game. I'd like it to be a thinker, a deep story. I don't want it to be action, action, action. There's going to be some. But in that way, I'm kind of conceding because I am not really, you know, I'm not I'm not really able to think to like. Because with nonviolent communication, you should be able to create a story. There should be a great story that can be told without the need for some kind of like crazy conflict, be it internal or external or what. But no one can do it because no one's really thought about it. Everybody's just kind of copying the model and they're all just doing it. Honestly, even myself, though, I do want to tell a great story first and foremost. But even myself in the back of my mind is the idea we got to do it for the money. We got to please the advertisers. How much is that holding back human advancement? That whole idea. I'm not a socialist. Calm down. Okay. I'm just saying these things, you know, even blockchain technology, most people realize they say, yeah, you know, I'm really excited about Bitcoin, but it's not because of the money. I'm excited about what this this blockchain technology can actually do. And that's intriguing that so many people realize that, hey, no, this has a whole lot of potential. This is a new idea and has a ton of potential that go far beyond what money can do. But I don't think we think about everything that way. I think with most things, and honestly with most people in the Bitcoin community, we just think, how can this make me money? But I also feel that in particular with blockchain technology, that there's a bit of a, a quantum shift. I didn't say quantum physics. There's a bit of a quantum shift in that people are realizing that, hey, maybe everything is possible. Maybe we can get to an age of abundance. Maybe we can achieve real, serious post-scarcity. And maybe we can live without governments. Entertainment has a while to catch up before it really explores a lot of those issues, unfortunately. But some of us can take up the charge. Uh, there's a great book, Anarcho SF. Uh, there's a link in the appendix in the show notes where you can check that out to maybe get some inspiration for that. I do want you to check that out. But I think this is, this is something, this is a real market, the market of ideas that we need to be exploring. And, and I think people are hungry for it. Anyway... 
please feel free to donate to the show if you enjoyed what you heard. And uh, don't hesitate to help me get to the various conferences that are coming up. Damn it, I did it for the money. What the hell? But hey, maybe we'll get to a world where I don't have to. (laughs) Carpe Lucam, everybody. I'll see you on the other side. You just experienced Sovereign Tech. Go to SovereignTech.com. That's S-O-V-R-Y-N-Tech.com. And connect with us there. Find links from today's show and catch our podcast feed. Sovereign Tech is copy heart. Copying art is an act of love. And love is not subject to law. So please, share the show however you like. Welcome to the evolution.